0: It's great to grind. It has its value. But if you're grinding and you're not tracking what it's doing for you, you're not paying attention to the data, to the results of that grinding. It it doesn't move the needle near as much as it could. And you could be going the wrong direction. right? You could be deviating just slightly and not know it. And that's one of the things that I challenge myself with and my clients with is like, Are you tracking your personal growth? Are you tracking your business growth? Are you tracking the growth of your employees and the steps they're taking and how they're getting there? Because if you're not, you're missing out on improving efficiency and most importantly, improving people.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today... We are cooking some Alabama-style smoked chicken thighs. Now, why are they Alabama-style? It's because we're not going to glaze them with anything. We're going to hit them with sauce afterwards. And, of course, it's going to be that Alabama white sauce. And while we're here, uh, we're going to be talking to Kyle Gillette. Kyle is with Sage Mindset. He's got a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about. He's got a podcast. He's got training courses. He's got assessments that you can take. He's got all sorts of things on his website. And Kyle's going to tell us how you can grow your business by
0: challenging yourself and empowering your people. So welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Jared. This is already great. I, I think I can smell the chicken from here, <laughs> but that's probably not true. <laughs> so we're going to... It's its mental,
1: right? So we're going to throw yes. these things uh, on the grill now. I'm using the... Uh, the pellet grill, so don't come at me, barbecue purists. As I've said many times on this show, this is not a – look at that. I almost dropped it. This is not a cooking show. This is the show of a barbecue enthusiast.
0: So right. how much can you control the temperature of that thing? Is it all about the pellets, or Man, is it electronic?
1: You, can, you can di- It's electronic, so you can dial it nice. up. It's got an app, and um, God, the barbecue purists are going to faint as I talk <laughs> about this thing. But it's like it's almost like an oven, So, so I want to cook these – uh, I'm going to try to go a little bit faster than recommended. I'm going to cook these at exactly 295. And when you set this thing, it's going to give or take five or 10, maybe, uh, you know, ticks on the temperature, but not really. Like it's going to really stay right there. It smokes. It's got a little auger in it that feeds these pellets in. And then the pellets drop. They create smoke and heat, but you can dial it in uh, to a T. Oh, I forgot to put my probes in there. Let me guys got me talking. I can't even think over here. So we got to make sure we get these bad boys to safe uh, cooking temperature. We don't want to be the, the salmonella show.
0: You know what's interesting is there's such a cool metaphor with what you're doing, with even the probes, like always knowing, having a pulse on what's going on in, in your life, in your business, keeping, keeping score of the temperature, right? Like a lot of people don't do that. That's one of the things that bothers me the most about the clients that I work with. That they don't keep a pulse or keep a temperature on what things are going on in their life and what that means for them. But so, so I love the metaphor already right there. It started as a,
1: a thing to kind of get guests to be relaxed when they're talking to me. But there actually is a lot of business metaphors to cooking in this manner. I, I'm a big believer in slow, steady progress uh, as, a, as a tried and true way. One of the safest ways to build a business is to just kind of slowly make your progress and keep moving forward. Obviously, that's, uh, you know, a big thing in business, but also like the fact that I'm using this grill. Um, for years, I was myself kind of a purist and I had like, I'd had the smoker and like the, the, you know, the ceramic grill and all this stuff. And I never had time to do this. I never would have the hour of prep time to, to do that. And then the, you know, 30 minutes of cooking and then all that. I didn't have time to do it, so I never grilled. And so this, this grill and the setup that I have in and of itself is like a, a way of me making progress. Like, I enjoy cooking like this a lot, Well, I, but I don't have time to, like, build this giant, you know, brick thing and have this whole kind of – anyway, this is a much easier way. This is my own kind of culinary progress over perfection kind of thing.
0: Right. Nice. It's, it's kind of a cheat code in a certain way, I guess you could say. It is for sure.
1: So for those of our listeners um, who are not familiar with what you do, tell us about Sage Mindset and what that is.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sage Mindset Coaching is, it's all about helping my clients focus on their people first, because I've found in multiple years of business and in multiple years of running this business, that the people, the businesses that focus on their people first are the most content with themselves, who they are as a leader. And they typically have a lot of success as well. And I think we've seen that in the industry as of late too. It's kind of a little bit more of a marketplace focus now for people first leadership. But that's what I do. I usually work with entrepreneurs and business owners that are mostly blue collar and then some other types of business owners that uh, they want to grow their business, but they don't know how and they tend to be in the way. And so we work through mindsets and habits to help them get there.
1: I would think that the, the blue collar entrepreneur is obviously, you know, something I know it- I'm very comfortable with right and that's that's kind of like my background I would think that that um clientele is probably the least exposed to the concepts of like a people first mentality and growing they're very um at least in my experience like ingrained in kind of the older way of doing things where it's like top-down management and systems and and you don't really manage with empathy and stuff but I found that when you talk to people like that and you give them some of these tools the impact of their business is pretty profound I would imagine
0: yeah, it's it's great because these folks are, they're really brilliant, but they're in their own way. Yeah. And so, because, because of that, when you start giving them these insights and coaching them and asking questions, they can easily apply it and they have such a good group of people that they're typically working with that can then use those skills as well and it impacts their business very quickly. Uh, unlike more of the office type jobs, which it's still totally impactful, totally matters, but just not quite the same return as quickly because they've already implemented quite a few things, but not just, it's a really beautiful to watch. It happen in the blue car industries. So Kyle, where are you from exactly? Where where
1: are you calling me from?
0: So I'm living about two hours north of Seattle right now. I'm five minutes from the BC border. So Oh,
1: wow. Okay. So way up there. Yeah. Right. So
0: Mariners fan? I am a Mariners fan. I'm not a Seahawks oh. fan because I grew up in the in the Central Valley of California. But I okay. am a Mariners fan. I'm willing to root for them. And unfortunately, we had some bad, a, I, bad news. No, nah, I
1: wouldn't. I wouldn't say unfortunately. That's the best season you That's guys have true. had in 20 years, right? It, it's so. really remarkable. That franchise is on the on the upswing for sure. Finally, yeah, finally. So tell me a little bit more about Sage Mindset. When you work with someone, someone approaches you and says, "Hey, like I just think I, I'm stuck in my business. I need some help." What are some of the first steps that you usually walk them through?
0: Yeah, we figure out what is their big goal. What is the goal that they want to accomplish over the next? I like 90-day goals. Even if it's a bigger picture goal, I like 90-day goals because you can measure those, stay on top of those, and they don't feel overwhelming. So we go, okay, what do you want to accomplish in the next 90 days? And we establish that big goal. And then from there, we just rock and roll. But usually somebody says, you know, I want to make a million dollars this year or something like that. And that's great, good good for them. But what's really hindering them is not some simple solution with the way that you sell a product. It's typically more of a mindset issue or a systemic problem or a habit issue with the employees or with the leader. And so that's where I dive in and help them with those types of things. And we dive into... What's going on with their mindsets? What's broken in their systems? Or if they even have systems, because most blue collar businesses don't, Uh, they're just kind of doing it themselves and figuring it out as they go. And so that's where I come in and, and help them figure that out. Is it lack of vision
1: that hurts the average entrepreneur, certainly on the blue collar side? or is it is it habits that are holding them back what are what is usually the common theme there
0: they rely on themselves way too much regardless of the industries i've been in it's way too much reliance on the leader themselves like the business owner themselves and they don't recognize that they hired smart people cuz I've asked every client that I've worked with that has employees, I said, did you hire a stu- did you hire stupid people? And they're like, no, 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 I hired really smart people. And they're like, then why aren't you using their smarts? Why aren't you using their abilities to better your business? And that's a very typical conversation I have with my clients at some point in the process, because my clients aren't dumb either, but they get in their own way and they end up doing the work. One of the things I often talk about is how the guys out in the truck in the field, and has the tool belt on when they really should be in the office working on the business. And that's a really big shift for a lot of owners. And I know sometimes you do need to be in the field. You got to check on things and all that. I get it. But if you're going to really move your business forward, at least 20% of your time needs to be in the office doing that working on the business stuff, to use the cliche.
1: Yeah, we talked about that a lot a couple of episodes ago about working on the business and not in the business. I talk about it on social media a lot too. It really is the thing that holds people back. And um, it's hard when you've been the person that has done that work. It's a big mental shift to learn how to work through people instead of working on your own or actually doing it yourself. And I find that in, in larger organizations, it's the same sort of hang-ups that people run into when they first become a manager. So, this is the first time they've ever been in charge of other people, and it's a struggle for them to they always feel bad and asking people to do things, or they always feel bad and trying to manage you know people's productivity because they feel like well I should be doing that I'm not I'm not working that hard or I, and you are working hard you're just doing different kind of work it's yep. it's a it's a big step in someone's career to go from you know individual contributor line level I make I'm actually turning the crank to I'm in charge of the people turning the cranks right it's a it's a huge mind shift. And it takes people a little bit of time to figure out how to do that without feeling like a jerk.
0: It does. And I think one of the habits that I wrote about in my book is the study habit. And it's it's all about having the leader of the business study their people, to know their people. and And part of that is having the mindset that you are, everyone you work with is truly fascinating what their story is, who they are, what they're about is actually really fascinating, what their gifts are, what their limitations are. And when you show up with that mentality as you lead people, that curiosity turns into really powerful questions. It turns into you better understanding who your employees are, and then that elicits new abilities from them, new better collaboration, innovation, all that kind of stuff. But if you don't start with being curious and studying your people, then you do feel like you're not getting much done because it doesn't feel like you're moving the needle much, but when you really get to know your people, it's a huge difference maker for people.
1: So I have a question. We're talking like the Sage mindset stuff, but I want to ask a question of like Kyle, the man, right? The way you operate specifically for your business. So I'm always fascinated by people like you um, because I always, I'm, I'm curious to know, how do you run your day? So the average day, when Kyle wakes up in the morning, what's the first thing you do when you get out of bed? And and then how do you kind of roll into the day?
0: Yeah, first thing I do when I get out of bed is take a leak. That's <laughs> definitely the first thing I do. Okay, after that. <laughs> uh, I typically wake up and do that thing, but then I'm also, I go straight into prayer. It's like the first thing that I do when I wake up is say a prayer. Uh, sometimes it's gratitude, sometimes it's asking for something, but that's one of the first things. Then I go downstairs and drink a bunch of water. And it doesn't seem that that's too relevant, but it is because the water is all about clearing out my system, getting my head in the right spot and starting my day hydrated. Because if, you, if you're if you not hydrated, you can't think as well. Our brain is, I can't remember the percentage, but it's a really high percentage of our brain is water. And so, have, being hydrated is extremely important. So, I pound a bunch of water. Then I go sit on the couch or lay on the couch and I spend the next roughly hour and a half from 5.30 to about 7 just on the couch reading, praying, meditating, watching certain things and getting ready for the day personally and professionally. So, that's the first hour and a half of my day. And sometimes it's shorter because kids get up earlier or whatever, but that's what I do very intentionally seven days a week. I don't deviate from it if I can help it. Saturday's a little bit special. I do unique things on Saturday, but I'm super regimented because it's what allows me to have the freedom that I do have in my business and to be able to preach this stuff to other people and not be a hypocrite. <laughs> you should get up at 5.30 and then I'm I'm yeah. up at eight. And and then it doesn't, yeah. Be, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, so, I find, too, there's there's seasons of life. We talked about this with Emily Lay, a good friend of mine, one of, one of our podcast guests uh, early on, how life has seasons. And I find that the routines that I have to set up to win change based on the season that I'm in. So I, I have a two-year-old at home, and so the last two years – the morning routine has been very different than it was than before she was born. Because before she was born, I was like up and I, you know, it was prayer and it was this and it was, I had my whole day written out and everything. And I've had to move a lot of those habits back a little bit because the first, you know, little bit of the morning for so long was whatever the crisis of the moment was, right? (laughs) Somebody's crying, somebody's peed through their diaper, you know, whatever the situation is but there's um i think what what i've figured out as i got older is not giving up because it used to when i was younger like i had that thing and i would always do it and then something would knock me out of it some reasonable Mm. situation travel or whatever and i would just like go to complete crap go to zero no good habits and i have found through the years that if you just allow it to be a little malleable to work around whatever the situation is, but you don't give up on it. You're still like, to your point, you're still drinking a bunch of water. You just, it might not be the third thing you do when you wake up anymore. Right. It might be something you do 45 minutes later or whatever it is. Um, but you're still getting those things in that for me has been helpful, um, to figure out how to stay, continue to move forward and not constantly be getting knocked back in, you know, backwards in my habits and, and then for, you know, backwards towards my goal.
0: I was talking to a client recently about her schedule because we were trying to get her more dialed in. She felt really low on her productivity and was struggling. And to, to for her to dial in her schedule very specifically wouldn't wouldn't work. She's a she's a speaker that speaks nationally, and she also runs a nonprofit, and then she runs her speaking business, right? So she's got a really busy schedule. And I the word rhythm came to mind while we were talking, and I was asking her questions, and I said, "What does what does rhythm mean to you?" And it was this huge moment of just lightbulb moment for her when she went, oh, if I just think about rhythm rather than routine, that changes everything for her. So, she shifted towards a focus of what's the rhythm of my week? What's the rhythm of my month rather than what's the routine of my day? And that opened it up a lot for her to know there's certain things she wants to get done in a week mm-hmm. and a certain way she wants to go about things. And it allowed her to let go a little bit and loosen up a little bit. And then that made her be more productive because productivity is a mind thing. It's not really a doing thing. It's it's where are you in your head? And the rhythm let her brain unlock. She was able to get more creative in her day to get things done. That rhythm opened up the week, which opened up the month. And it, changed, it shifted things really quickly for her. And she was far more productive and was able to do the workouts while she was speaking. She was able to get some work done while she was at speaking gigs, whereas before, she would just do kind of like you said, everything just go like that and fall apart on her. But now it doesn't.
1: See, okay. You just taught me something. Cause like I, I calling it rhythm makes so much sense to me. Like I had never thought of it that way, but you think about it more and you're zooming out. You know, everybody reads these like clickbait articles from Buzzfeed. These like, it's like entrepreneurial guilt, you know, or personal development guilt where they go, the five things that billionaires <laughs> do before they, you know, and you're like, Thank you for telling me what Warren Buffett does in the morning, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for telling me what Elon Musk does, who while financially and you know, business-wise wildly successful, also has a pretty shitty personal life. And I'm not sure I want to emulate everything about all of these guys. So uh, I, it's cool to think about it, like you just said, zooming out and think about it in the rhythm of a period of time. And what are the things that you want to try to get done? Is that, am I saying it right?
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, what would your rhythm be if, if you were to create a rhythm for like your week or your month? What would that look like for you?
1: So I turned forty uh, last year, and um, congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, stuff started falling off the car immediately. <laughs> like
0: the warranty is
1: is expired, and I realized that um, taking care of my body and myself was so much more important than it was ten years ago. Gosh, I I I, I sometimes look back. Ten years ago, and wonder where I might have been if I had put more emphasis on mm. eating healthier, exercising, and you know those kinds of things. So I I have put um, over the last two years a much bigger focus on my physical health and eating right and making sure like I'm going to the doctor and just those kinds of things. Things that I always put on the back burner for years building a business. Um, And I've prioritized making sure that the first thing I do when I get up – well, not – I say the first thing in air quotes because there's a few things. But the first mission I'm on when I get out of bed is to go get my heart rate up and go either lift Mm. weights or some kind of cardio or something. Um, And I find that the days that something knocks me off of that and I don't get that in, I'm out of sync all day. Like I just don't feel right. I don't feel as productive. So that uh, has been a thing that – as long as I can get that in towards the beginning of my day, everything else can sort of shape around it. I've also found some like organizational systems and apps and things that I can run my, you know, to do apps and kind of push things up like that. And then I have a calendar and as long as I can sort of get to my calendar, get some private moment in prayer, get my exercise in and know what I'm doing for the day. Like, man, I am, you know, able to do all sorts of stuff. If I get out of that, Think and I don't get those kind of pillars, which is, you know, prayer and, uh, and working out or, or whatever, and knowing what I'm doing for the day, I've, I'm not hitting on all cylinders. And so I've kind of based it around that, like, because I do have to travel a lot. And my days, one day for me, look, can look very different than the next day because of just the nature of, of all the things that I do. And so I've sort of figured out those kind of pillars are the things that if I can hold to those, then I'm kind of hitting on all cylinders.
0: That makes sense. Totally. I'm, I'm, that's very much like me. I mean, I think I'm a little bit more routine than you just because of the nature of my job, but I t- totally understand. By the way, what's the what's the to-do list app that you use?
1: Whatever it was, it got acquired by Microsoft and then sort of disappeared. Wunderlist, oh, that's what it w- is. Yeah, Wunderlist. I
0: loved that one, yeah, man. Yeah, Wunderlist was
1: the bomb. So Wunderlist yep. went away, and then I kind of went into the abyss, and I had like all these <laughs> different... I was using notes, and I was none of them worked. And then somebody was like... Well, you know, Microsoft has the to-do app and I moved on to to to-do. What I like about that is it's really, doesn't try to do too much, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's simple. I need things that I can push up. I have different to-do lists and then I have the whole my day function, which works so good for me. So I can go into all the different to-do lists. I have personal ones, ones for the podcast, ones for measure learning and i can grab the things that i need to get do and drag them into my day and then i keep every day all day i'm hitting that thing and going what else i gotta do what else do i gotta do and then whatever doesn't get done falls back off into the list and the next day i'm back hmm. on and go oh yeah i wrote that number you drag it into today um it makes a lot of sense there's a lot of people that are trying to hack that space i've talked to a couple of entrepreneurs that are doing different things there's um I don't think there's any one way to crack it for everybody. I think you have to find the thing that works for you. And that one, because of its simplicity, worked for me.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I push Todoist is what I push on on people that don't have like a really large team and they're mostly managing themselves because it's it's powerful with all kinds of features that I don't need to go into, but it's really good. But the point is true, what you said. It's what is the productivity tools that you need that work for you yeah and if whatever they are awesome go with them like don't we don't need to debate about what's the best for everyone because there's nothing that's like that.
1: Yeah I, I, I use this analogy to myself all the time. I'll ask myself am I riding or driving right and, and I I find myself like adrift when I feel like I'm riding. What I mean by that is if I get in the day and the things that I'm spending my time on are coming to me, Right? And things that are happening to me, situations where I sort of walk into the office and, oh, and I drift over to this thing I see or whatever. Am I, am I, that's riding to me. Driving is coming in with the to do list and, you know, saying these are the most important things today. And if I get these three or four things done, then today's been a successful day. Now that's, wishful thinking some days, right? Sometimes you walk into an office and the place is on fire and you just kind of, okay, that's, you know, this just moved to the top of the list. But if more days than not, I'm driving, I feel like, I I, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting so much more done. I am getting so much more done and moving myself forward towards the sort of operational goals that I've I've got going.
0: That reminds me of something I learned recently, the difference between moving towards something and moving away from something. Mm. And they, they sound like the same thing, but they're fundamentally different. And the the way to look at it is like when people want to lose weight, often you'll notice people want to lose, let's say 15, 20 pounds. So, they'll lose the weight and then they go back and they gain, they gain the weight again. The yo-yo is I think what it's called. And the reason is for those people that they yo-yo, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is they go back to where they were because they're trying to get away from something. They're trying to get away from the life that they had when they weighed that much. And so, instead of trying to move away, it's really more important to go towards something. So, that requires that you're fairly content with where you are. So, let's say you're 20 pounds overweight and you don't want to be, but you've made some shifts and you're doing better. And you've started to change your diet and you've lost a little bit of weight. So you're content with the progress that you're making, but you want to enhance it. So you're moving toward a better lifestyle and enhancing your current one. And then once you get to that 20 pounds of weight lost, now you've already shifted to something else you're moving toward. And so you don't bounce back. And this can this works in business. This works in all kinds of different realms. But when I learned that, it just, it clicked for me that I don't want to move away from being poor. I don't want to move away from uh, this type of relationship. I want to move toward a more enhanced lifestyle, a more enhanced relationship. And it's far more rewarding as you move that direction. So, this is when I teach goals to people when I'm working with my clients. That's definitely one of the big chunks that I like to teach them about.
1: That is so good. That's the, I'm going to check the chicken really quick because I think we're getting a little heated up here. But that's so good, the idea of um, moving towards something and not moving away. We're looking pretty good here, by the way. Nice. I don't know if you can see that. Um, not bad. We got a, little, got a little while longer. I'd actually like to lower it just a touch to get some more. The lower you go, the more it'll smoke a little bit. Mm. I'm going to lower it down just a touch. I love the idea of moving towards something instead of away from something. It's a... It's a much more positive spin on things, and um, it's similar to one of the things I started doing a couple of years ago when I was really trying to focus on my health. I had had so many false starts um, with with like just trying to take care of myself through the years, and I, so I have this uh, process I do every year where I go off by myself for a whole day and I write out the goals that I want to achieve in three areas of my life: my personal life, my professional life, and my spiritual nice. life. And I come back with like this really cool kind of annual mission statement and sort of it's a it's a really cool process. But I notice I keep those every year and I have it in a notebook. And before I start my writing for the next coming year, I flip back through Mm. years past and just sort of look at my journey. And and a couple of years ago I realized what is wrong? Every year I'm writing about I want to get in shape. I want to be healthy. What is going like so it just dawned on me and that was a that's like an, an idea of personal accountability, which is something I really want to ask you about because I saw you writing about that recently. But I was able to keep myself accountable and seeing that goal pop up over and over and over. I was, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I have good intentions. And so what I what I found was I spent too, t- too much time focusing on a goal that was – health goals can be uh, – malleable and change because you, I mean, you might get down to a weight, whoop de doo you got down there, you need to stay there, right, or whatever. And so I I, I shifted my goal away from a weight goal or uh, any other sort of actual measurable like that, and I, I changed the measurable to habits, right? So I I am not trying to, I'm not getting up and, and going and taking care of myself because I want to weigh X amount of pounds. I'm doing this because this is who I am, right? I get up and I take care of myself every day, and when I shifted my goals to the daily um, adherence to habits, man, it changed everything. And I've been on—I've been on the best run I've been in my life since I did that because I stopped getting on the scale all the time or going and obsessing over. Uh, you know, it was no every single day. This is what I do. And uh, it changed it kind of changed everything because it was the goal became the habits, not the the actual end result. And if you look at like the greats, right? If you especially athletes, if you look at the great athletes like the Tom Bradys, the Belichicks, you know, the just anybody, you find people, Kobe Bryant, where it's their their habits were the things that they obsessed about more than Super Bowls and NBA championships and everything else. It was, I'm going to be in the gym this I've got you know Kobe would hit some absurd amount of shots before he would allow himself to go home and shower right um it's that stuff that drove all of the success behind
0: that yeah it's it's the lifestyle of health or whatever it is it's it's that mindset that you're doing first it's interesting because if you set that mindset and then you turn that into your habits and then you're really consistent with those habits then you can plug in your goals. But if you put your goals before that, it's not going to work. Because we need goals still, even within the good habits, because maybe you want to be able to lift a certain amount or weigh a certain weight, but you've got to set the habit first. And then the goals can be extremely rewarding after you accomplish them, but then you don't give up. Like there's so many people, they get their dream and then they got their goal and then that's it. It's like, wow, it's not that big a deal now that I'm here. But if you have the lifestyle or the mindset of it, it changes. There's a I write about a story about Kobe in my book and it's a really cool story. So, Jay Williams is a point guard that played for the, the Bulls and he's being interviewed on a podcast and he's telling a story about how he goes into the gym before a game to start warming up for the game, you know, like an hour or so early. And he goes in and he's hearing somebody bouncing a ball and he's like, who's, who's in here already? And it's Kobe. And so, he sees Kobe in there. Kobe's just drenched in sweat already, right? So, obviously, Kobe's been there for a while. And so, Jay Williams warms up while Kobe's warming up and Kobe's doing legit stuff. He's not just, you know, farting around or whatever, he's doing legit stuff. After like 45 minutes or so of Jay Williams working out, Kobe's still working out. Jay Williams stops, sits down, and he sits there and waits for another 25-30 minutes while Kobe's still working out. So then Kobe leaves, Jay, Jay Williams leaves, they don't talk or anything. They have the game, Kobe scores 40 and the Lakers win. And then afterwards, Jay runs up to him and is like, Man, I gotta know what's going on. You how did you do that? You were at the game. Why were you, why were you? practicing that much earlier. And he looked at Jay and he says something to the effect of, because I want you to know, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much time you put in, I will always work harder and put more time in than you. And he and he walks off. <laughs> and you're just like that, you know, that's the Mamba mentality as, as they talk yeah. about Kobe. But but that's his mindset. Like that's his value. That's his vision that he puts on himself or he put on himself when, when he was playing. And... It's truly, truly remarkable.
1: There's so much you can learn from from people like that. And we were blessed with, you know, Kobe shared a lot of that before he passed, you know, and and you can learn a lot about that. Um, I think that's what makes people really great is the willingness to, um, and you have to forgive me, I'm outside. This is the beauty of a a backyard podcast. I got the wind blowing here. Um, I think that's the, I think that's what it takes to get to somewhere really special. If you're trying to do something that's either never been done or really really hard to do, it takes really audacious absurd dedication to that. I mean, we so when we started our business, we were in we weren't in Boston or San Francisco backed by, you know, the Silicon Valley giants giving us hundreds of millions of dollars like we were in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. And uh, none of us had been to like Ivy League schools. None of us had actually really grown up around entrepreneurs or knew what that sort of rhythm was like for businesses like that. And uh, but I was a big sports fan. And I remember I I went to the University of Florida and Tim Tebow was just coming out of Florida. And I remember him talking about how he loved to work out late at night. get up like in the middle of the night, do like a 1 a.m. workout. And he just said it made him feel really good to know that he was getting better when everybody else he was going to compete against was sleeping. And I took that and pushed that into a business concept of like, I want to work whenever when I know everybody else is already get we're going to get we're going to get 10 feet further. Right. We're going to get just a little bit further. And the more you do that, It adds up over time. That's why, you know, the whole slow smoke business concept, right? It's lots of steps in the right direction over and over and over. And doing it when everybody else took five steps and you took 15, that over time, you're miles ahead of everybody else.
0: I think one of the keys of that, too, is that when you're doing that, that you're measuring what it's done for you, too. And often people forget that part. It's it's great to grind. It has its value. But if you're grinding and you're not tracking what it's doing for you, you're not paying attention to the data, to the results of that grinding, it, it doesn't move the needle near as much as it could. And you could be going the wrong direction, right? You could be deviating just slightly and not know it. And that's one of the things that I challenge myself with and my clients with is like, are you tracking your personal growth? Are you tracking your business growth? Are you tracking the growth of your employees and the steps they're taking and how they're getting there? Because if you're not, you're missing out on improving efficiency, and most importantly, improving people. Uh, And it's not that hard to track that kind of thing. Just logistically, it's not. But it, it feels like such a big hump to overcome. And so, a lot of people don't do it as a result and they're missing out on so much. And one of my favorite things to do is is to review my week and look at what I did and look at the conversations I had with my clients and how those conversations went. And I grade myself on every single coaching call. I, I give myself a grade and I reflect wow. on what happened. And this helps me to improve from every single call and to know whether I'm giving this person an A effort every time. And it's it dramatically can improve me better than just trying to get better at coaching by learning certain skills. Now I get to evaluate how well I've learned those skills every single time I have a call.
1: So you grade yourself after every, I, I imagine a coaching call is like the key kind of moment for your business, right? That's one of the big moments. And so you grade yourself after each one of them. What do you do with those grades exactly? Do you just kind of think about it or do you do you store them? I'm, I'm really curious about this because I thought it was interesting how you said you look back on your week. So talk about specifically how you measure yourself?
0: Oh, there's a lot. Um, so I measure myself in six, seven, I can't remember exactly how many categories of where I spend my time. So one of them is gonna be exercise, another one's gonna be development, you know, personal professional development, another one is actual coaching, podcast, whatever. So there's a bunch of categories and I put in the number of hours I spend on those. Cause those are the big rocks of my life that really matter when it comes to my work. And so, I want to make sure I'm putting the number of hours that I say I want to into that. And if I'm not, it's not the end of the world, but I can pay attention to the trends of, of what's going on in those arenas. Uh, I do something called a molo every every Saturday morning. I wake up and do the same same routine, except for on Saturdays, I do this full review of the week. And the molo is like the last piece. So, first part is I look at my vision and my values, and I look at my goals for the, for the year, but also... 10 years ahead and everything in between. And then the MOLO is five questions that I ask myself. And MOLO stands for more of, less of, M-O-L-O. And then there's three other questions. So I say, what do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of? What do I want to stop doing? What do I want to start doing? What do I want to keep doing? And the key is if you do that in a broad context, it's pretty, pretty useless. But if you pick a specific topic, then it becomes far more useful. So... On Saturday, a few days ago, I picked the topic of speaking because I'm doing that more and more and I wanted to, I want to improve in it. So I put down topic, speaking, and then underneath it, what I want to do more of, answered that question, answered the rest. And at the end of those questions, I come up with three to five actions, no more than that. Otherwise, it's overwhelming. So specific topic with specific actions. And then I take those actions going forward for that week, that month or whatever, and this helps me to measure my progress because it's basically a journal. And then it also helps me to actually move towards something very intentionally as well. Because the more nuanced and specific you get, just like a niche in business, the more nuanced and specific you get in developing yourself, the more likely you're going to get good results from it.
1: God, that's so good. I, I'd never, I've I i never never heard anybody talk about it like that, like a molo, more of, less of, and I imagine that what you say more of, less of, changes from what you're trying. Changes based on kind of the the goals that you have, near-term goals and and long-term goals, and it also changes on like, well, maybe this this week I like over-indexed on my personal life, and I got to do more of this. Or does it? You find that it changes based on, you know, you went redlined in one area, now you got to do that or is it are you are you talking about specific habits you think that are holding you back or, or moving you forward
0: when it comes to the molo it it does vary sometimes it is personal sometimes it is professional and i do sometimes redline like you said on certain things where i go too far into a certain arena I'll, I'll find myself for weeks only focusing on business and i'll look back and i'll go oh my goodness i haven't Pick the topic of dates with my wife, or pick the topics of vacation with my family, or pick the topic of a specific kid in a specific area. And so it helps me to stay on track of my whole picture of life. Because when I was, when I finished college, this is a, a, there's a sub story here, but I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. When I finished college, I, I joined a men's mentoring program, and we focused on seven key areas of life to help these guys get their lives in order. So, there are 18 to 25-year-olds that had drug and alcohol histories or broken families, and they were really struggling, and so we helped them get traction in life. And we had them create what's called a life map, and it it asked three questions, where am I, where do I want to go, and how do I get there in seven key areas of life, emotional, physical, spiritual, etc. And so for me when I look at my to-do list which is right here on my right I have those categories written out on my to do to-do list as projects and so that keeps I get to see my task count in each of those areas to make sure that I'm focusing correctly and I have a reasonable amount of things that I'm working on in each of those areas it's not equal at all because I do a lot more tasks as it relates to my work than anything else but if I see nothing in my relational category that's a problem mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and so that combined with the MOLO and some accountability paths that I use creates this way more balanced life and allows me to measure what's going on with me and, and what's not going on with me as well.
1: All right. I'm going to check. I'm going to check the chicken. Kyle, I feel like I could talk to you all day, man. This is good <laughs> stuff. Like, I hope, I hope people are really plugging into what you're talking about. And let me tell you about some chicken right now. Kyle, have you ever had white sauce, Alabama white sauce before? I don't
0: think so. What oh, is it? Oh, man.
1: So it is so I moved, I, I grew up in Florida, and when I moved to Alabama, it was like, well, you have the white sauce." And I thought, well, that sounds what is that, right? And so they it's a mayonnaise-based barbecue sauce that is like cider vinegar, mayo, some spices, and it's like this sort of tangy, creamy barbecue sauce that goes. Good, well on pork, but on poultry is outstanding. And so, if you smoke something and you get a really crispy, well-seasoned, like skin on the outside of a chicken, and then you hit it with some of this tangy, kind of creamy sauce on the dude, I'm telling you, like, you, I, it's, it's, I, I have to, I have to challenge myself to keep cooking new things on this show. But if, if I didn't feel like it would make me look like a schmuck, like every other episode would be. <laughs> Poultry and white sauce on there. We go, Here we are again, kids, <laughs> you know, Megan, because it's so good. It's anyway, if you have, I'll, I'll have to see if I can't get you some scent up there. The problem is all of the sauces that I've found that you can buy from the store are good, but they're not like if you get it in a restaurant and they make it in a perishable way, a way that you couldn't like ship to somebody. That's how mm. it really tastes like it's supposed to taste, you know?
0: Yeah, that sounds yummy. Uh, for sure, my wife makes this mayonnaise avocado sauce Ooh. that that we put on various things, but it is super yummy. So I'm all about the mayonnaise sauce that has the right spices with it and the right tanginess. So I I get it. I'm all about it for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm in defense of mayo over here. Like we need to, <laughs> we need to. Mayo gets a bad rap, man. Just don't just don't use that much of it.
0: What about Miracle
1: Whip? Now get out of here. That's. <laughs> No,
0: Miracle Whip.
1: Why is it? Why we got to have a, why we got to perform a miracle? Like just eat <laughs> the mayo, right? Why well, it's, it's not even any, it's not uh, even materially healthy for you. Just like, no, nah, Miracle Whip's crap. Sorry hey, to craft or whatever. They're <laughs> never going to sponsor the show now, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a mayo fan over Miracle Whip, but my dad always put Miracle Whip on, what do you call him? Uh, why can't I think of it? Broccoli. Put it on broccoli all the time. What? Yeah yeah that was his deal that and then uh, uh, not asparagus but uh oh the flowering plant the big green flowering plant the heart the artichokes he put it on oh, artichokes yeah. as well
1: miracle whip yeah i could see doing mayo on that mayo goes uh on things more than you would think like my wife and i saw some tiktok a while ago a long time ago and started uh if we make grilled cheese sandwiches for i was the just kids, gonna ask you that mayo on the instead of butter mayo on the sandwich and it's like i can't tell you how much better it is the, but it's not as greasy and it gives like the perfect little kind of tangy crust on it <laughs> i guess the last thing i, I want to talk to you about is you know we i touched on kind of my annual thought process and the way that I run my sort of life planning, I call it the living ledger. It's like this whole thing. I really want to do a lot more with it. We did something a little bit with it last year. We're going to try to expand it a little bit this year and open it up and teach people the process. But I'm curious to know, you know, when you get to the end of the year, like we are now, we're, we're, we're trending towards the end of the year, people get reflective. I'm not a big believer in uh, new year's resolutions. I, I think that's kind of a gimmick and you're out of it too. You, you know two weeks and you're out of there, you know, you're not even thinking about it anymore. Um, how do you plan for a new year? When you get, do you, do you have a, you've got such a great process from a, on a weekly basis, right? How do, do you, do you do anything different at the end of the year where you sort of zoom out a little bit more or is, you know, what makes Kyle, Kyle, this constant adherence to this kind of seven day loop of accountability?
0: Yeah, I'm already planning. Every, you know all the time i'm already planning for the next quarter or the next year it's it's i'm tracking that and paying attention to that so i think the main shift for the new year is is a reflection back so i don't just look at a week or two or a month back i'm looking at the whole year going what what has changed in me how have i changed i was having a conversation with a coach and he was coaching me And we were talking about some frustrations I was experiencing in my life. And I was just kind of irritated at God because He's not answering prayers and He's not doing certain things. And It's like, Scripture says that He's supposed to answer your prayers when you pray in His name or He'll move mountains or whatever. And I was getting frustrated. And so after spouting out my beef with God about it, we we talked some more. And one of the mantras in coaching is to coach the person, not the problem. And for some reason, that came to mind in the middle of the conversation with this, with my coach, and I went, wait a second, that's really what God is trying to do. He's trying to coach me, not solve my problems. He wants to change my heart and who I am to be more like Him versus change, fix my problems. If fixing my problems is gonna change my heart and change who I am, then then maybe He'll do that, but He wants to coach the person, me. Because that's who he created, that's who he jealously longs for. It talks about that in scripture, that God jealously longs for the spirit that he put inside of us. And so at the end of the year, that's a big piece of what I'm doing, is I'm going, how have I been coached and changed by my own works, by what God is doing in my heart, by family members, by the accountability that I create in my life? And that that's the work that's really important at the end of the year. Plus, it's the season, right? You're thinking about the birth of Jesus and all that stuff, or at sure. least some people are. And so for me... I focus on that angle and yeah, I'll create a couple of goals that I haven't yet created that aren't on my list just because I get a little bit inspired, but otherwise that's the primary work that I'm doing.
1: Kind of buried in that discussion right there was you, I, I, I I find it interesting that you, a coach also have a coach, right? And so there's something that's, that's really interesting because you're, you're working on yourself the same way you want people to work on themselves.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, can I tell you a little bit? I don't know how much time we have, but can I Yeah. You... Okay. So, Sage is an acronym. I don't most people probably don't know that cuz they're not familiar with me, but Sage stands for four things: self-awareness, accountability, growth, and empowerment, and it's what I believe are the four pillars to great leadership. And I describe it like a leadership house where the foundation to great leadership is self-awareness, accountability is the nails that hold your leadership together growth is the walls and the roof so at times you're going to add an addition to your leadership in other words expand it grow it get it get it bigger more influence and then empowerment's the windows and doors and that's where people can see into your leadership and your influence and see what you're doing and they want to join it they want to be on your team they want to be influenced by you so they walk in that door and then other times the people that you're leading they're to the point where they need to be they need to move on because You've done your work with them. You've empowered them, and they need to move on to the next steps in life. And so that door opens, and they walk out because they've seen other opportunities for them. So that's that's a sage leader in a nutshell. But the heart of it is accountability because it is what holds everything together. And I talk about something called an accountability pass. P A S S. I love I love me some acronyms. So okay, yeah, I'm seeing that. Well, I'll briefly go over this, but the P in pass stands for passive accountability, and It's simply telling your story to yourself, to your subconscious, and to other people. And that's three different things. So when you tell your story to yourself, you're saying, this is what I'd like to see happen. So you might write it down. You might journal about it. You might pray about it. Whatever you're going to do. Then when you tell it to your subconscious, you tell it like a future story. So if we fast forward six months from now, you would be able to tell me what's exactly happening six months from now. So, you tell this story to your subconscious just like that, a compelling story about what you'd like to see happen, but you say it as if it's already happening. Mm. Okay, so I've sold a certain number of books. Uh, This is what's happening in my business and how it makes me feel, what's going on in my life as a result, but it's not something you're hoping for. You say it as if it's a movie that is existing already, and then your subconscious has to fix that gap between the two. And our subconscious is the most powerful computer in the world. And so it's a beautiful way to create, to fix that gap, to create the future that you want. The third part of the passive is telling other people that story, that story of what you'd like to see happen, what you anticipate happening. And then the result, the reason why it's passive is your subconscious engages it, but then so do these other people. You tell 15, 20, 30 people that you wanna write a book or you wanna lose certain weight or you wanna start a business or you wanna hire five people or whatever it is, then a couple of them will follow up with you and say, hey, what's going on with this? I liken it to, to a check engine light in your vehicle. You say you're gonna do these things and then you're not following up on them and your passenger is sh- sitting shotgun and they say, hey, your check engine light's on, what's going on mm. with that? So, now, now they're letting you know to stay on top of this thing because they care. Now, you tell 20 people, two of them will care or maybe three, but that's okay. And then from those three, you move to active accountability. You follow up with one of those three and you say, hey, friend, would you be willing to meet with me weekly or biweekly to talk about the things that you're trying to accomplish and that I'm trying to accomplish and hold each other accountable to making them happen? And they could be personal, they could be professional, it doesn't matter, or both. And I've been doing that. Active accountability since I was 18 years old with somebody at least weekly, if not biweekly. Wow. wow! For some people, or for s- some of those people, it's coaches. Some of them, it's mentors, and some of them, it's friends. And usually, I'm meeting with at least two over the course of a of a month. Right, meeting with two people to talk about that stuff and exchange with them. Uh, and then the S, the first S in the past, is structures. And you you already mentioned this. It was your calendar and your to do list. That's one of many, many ways to do it. But those are the primary two ways. Stay on top of those things. So then the second S is self-commitment. And I want to give you a, a word picture to help you to grab this. So this is for you, Jared. Okay. I want you to picture a pond. And in the pond, there's this log. And it's a beautiful sunny day. And these three log these three frogs are chilling on the log. And one of them looks over at the other one and says, I'm gonna go get that fly. There's a big juicy fly on a lily pad. And you're hearing this and first, after you get over your shock, you look over and you look at the fly and then you look back. When you look back, how many frogs are on that log? Okay, so I would think there's two, right? So there's still three because there's a difference between deciding and committing. Oh. If you picture the frog has decided he's gonna do it, that's fine. But the commitment is when his toes are leaving that log because there's no return. And so when it comes to accountability, when it comes to committing to what you're going to do, you need to figure out where is it that there's no return. There's no point of return. And when you get to that point, now you're truly committed. For me, it was when my wife quit working as a nurse. That was fairly recently. But up until that point, I could have quit this job and found a job somewhere else or quit this business and found a job somewhere else. But when she quit working as a nurse, which was making well over six figures, all of a sudden it was on me. <clears throat> and there was nothing, there's no, gravity was gone. I was free falling. <laughs> there was there was no getting back in the plane, if you will. Yeah. So, that's the level of commitment we need to have to the things that we're trying to accomplish. The goals that we set, the lifestyles that we want, the mindsets we that we want. So, that's why accountability is at the heart of all of this, because it is up to my commitment level and the help that I can get from other people to make it happen. This is so,
1: ah, man, this was so, this is so good. I've enjoyed this immensely. I'm going to check, uh, let's go back to the silliness part of my podcast, which is checking on the chicken here. I wish you could smell this Kyle. Um, but Lord have mercy. These things are, uh, are gonna Let me actually move the probes around. It says I'm done, but I always never believe it until I hit it one more time. Um, and unfortunately, I can't ship any of this stuff to you, so you know we'll just have, you'll have to take my word for it. That would be nice, Kyle. This is so good, man. Like I, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking with you today. I think any podcast where we talk about mind hacks and productivity and chicken and grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then we hit on <laughs> some scripture, like we've we've killed it, right? So this is uh, this is really good, and I enjoyed all your acronyms. Um, I guess Kyle is probably an acronym. So probably. <laughs> what is it like killing your life? Every day. Like every day. There you go. Yeah. So (laughs) this is good. Um, Kyle, if, if I'm sure a lot of people are going to be really interested after hearing this, if they wanted to connect with you, how would they do that?
0: Yeah. Well, I have a book that's publishing November 1st. It's in pre-sales right now. And it's called Sage Leadership. It's a four-part framework to helping you become a people first leader. So they can go to book. SageMindset.com. And if they're listening to this after the first go to SageMindset.com slash book. So just a little bit of a shift, but that's where you're going to get what I talked about with the past. You're going to get stuff about self-awareness, accountability, growth, and empowerment. I talk about, excuse me, I talk about five habits and five mindsets for each of those pillars. And they are very practical. And I give you tools to apply those things. It's not just theory. It's hardly any theory at all. In fact, it's very practical to people to move people forward. Awesome,
1: uh, Kyle. Thank you so much for uh, sharing all this with us here. This has been a, this has been so great. For those of you that are listening, please make sure that you like this podcast, subscribe to it, go follow us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and we'll see you next time on the Slow Smoke Business Show. Thanks, Kyle.
0: Thank you.